Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Tonight, there's just two of us. We have the leader of the Evil Cobra organization, the Master of Disaster, Comic Book Steve, also known as CBS. What's up, buddy? I'm good. Not a lot. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. And we got me, the silent but deadly ninja, Josh Christmas. I'm choosing Christmas tonight. I wanted to switch it up. It's the holiday season. That's not how that works. <laughs> I changed it, man. I can do what I want. No, that's not how nicknames work. You let me do the in- intro, man. No, that's my mistake, then. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. So today we're doing uh, episode number 130. Yeah! And book-wise, we're going to be going over The Amazing Mary Jane Watson, number one. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers TMNT, number one. And then the New Year's Evil from DC Comics. A technically number one, I guess. A little shorter this week, just because the New Year's Evil is such a big book. And, uh, you know, Turtles, Power Rangers is a big deal, so... You know, figured we cut down just a little bit for the duration of the story. The New Year's Evil has, like, I think... Is it six or eight stories in it? It's got a lot. Yeah, it's an 80-page giant, like the old days. It's one big book. Very big. Heck yeah. And then stick around to the end of the episode tonight. We have uh, like a little new segment in CBS Me started, the action figure review. And a pretty good one tonight. So. Um, before we do all that, you want to do a little bit of news? What's in the news? So the Taskmaster is um, going to be comic book accurate, supposedly, for his costume in the Black Widow movie. Um, I didn't even know he was the main villain, weirdly. I didn't notice that. Did you? Well, whether he's a main or not, I mean, usually the Taskmaster's working for somebody else, so... I didn't even know he was supposed to be in it. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that, I guess. Whenever they made, they made an announcement, of, like, I don't know, four or five months ago, that there was a figure in armor seen on set and then that like spiraled people out of control trying to figure out who it was um i don't know if there was an official announcement saying it was taskmaster until recently but the few pictures that came out people started guessing so at this point it's official but i don't know when they announced that initially but as far as speculation it's been it's been one that people have have guessed for a fair minute but yeah as far as a uh set up for it. I mean, yeah, they, they finally showed that they're in the trailer. If you guys haven't seen it yet, you can see the trailer. Just go to YouTube and you can find it. And uh, he's getting more tactical and he's got like an armor helmet. So I guess we'll see what that means when they say comic accurate because the trailer, he has no cloak and he just doesn't have a skull face. So I guess we'll see. Well, they also um, released, they're going to do a whole Marvel Legends um, series based on the movie and he's going to like that's the only version they're releasing is the comic accurate version, not even the movie version. So for the uh, figures, there's one other action. They did one a while back for him, actually. Um, I couldn't tell you what line of it was. One of the Marvel Legends. I couldn't tell you what what run it was from. God, it's been like I feel like it's been two or three years since that happened. But it was full on like comic book cloak and everything. So 
I mean, once we get to the movie, it's very possible that the scene we see without the cloak is just a one-off or something, so you never know. All right, um, another piece of little bit of news and comic book stuff. So uh, The Flash and Wonder Woman are both going to be returning to their legacy numbers. So effective as of Wonder Woman 750, which comes out in January, it's going to be going back to the legacy numbers moving forward, and The Flash will do the same thing in March, also at 750. So... As a thing, I mean, they made such a big deal with all this Rebirth and New 52 stuff. Now we're going back to classic numbering. I mean, it's interesting, but it makes me wonder if it's just a another, like, follow the leader kind of situation. Like, whenever they did this originally, Marvel made a big deal about, oh, we're keeping our original numbers, everybody. And now Marvel includes legacy numbers on covers. So I guess it's just a matter of time before we see DC does the same thing. I mean, I think it's cool just because I prefer the bigger numbers, actually. I mean, anything about comics, as long as you're near a story arc start, you're pretty much okay. I mean, if you want to read a Flash story, as long as you know the dude got hit by lightning and chemicals, then you know the Flash's story. And like Batman, you know, the parents died in an alley, you're pretty well good. One woman came from an island, and you can move forward. So I think that's kind of cool. I guess we'll see if it, how long it lasts as far as a thing. So that's neat. I see it both sides. I like the, they put the legacy number and then the current number both, I guess makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, if you can do it in a way that people understand that, but I see like getting new readers in, there are people out there who be like, oh, this comic's already at 729. So like, I'm not even going to bother because I'm never going to be able to catch up on that, which what most people don't understand is that like 729 issues goes in like the 1960s. So exactly. Yeah. So it's fine to be able to jump in somewhere, but right. like, but he's like, Oh, this is issue one, number one. I can jump in there. And like, yeah, I mean the reason they were doing it in the first place as a, as a thing makes sense to try to attract new readers. But as far as like, I don't know, your current comic readers, right? Like a majority of them were people that started in the eighties or nineties. And back then that wasn't even an option. So you either just did it or you didn't. But the legacy numbering idea, the way Marvel's got it, where they have the current number and then the legacy number underneath, I think that's cool. I can see DC adopt that. I don't see why not. I mean, they kind of did the same thing when they were doing... When they used to do uh, story arcs that were spanning with, like, Superman and Action Comics when they bounced back and forth, they used to put, like, a Superman shield with a number inside of it, and the number inside was supposed to tell you what chapter it was of the story. So when the series ran 20 issues for a story... And it went across four books. The way you would know how to read it was the extra number. Right. So it's not like DC hasn't done it before. I guess we'll see if it goes forward and they add that or not. Um, but yeah, as a thing, the only time it really made people super mad was when New 52 monikered number ones again of Action Comics and Detective because the two of them were like two of the only books that had never been volumized. Did it at a really crazy point in time for the numbers. And now we're back to the classic numbers on them too, but that was for event purposes probably. And they're still holding, so I guess we'll see. Who knows? I mean, it's, it's one of those things that I, I don't think they can win at this point. It's just kind of, yeah. it's just kind of managing, unfortunately, not to be a Debbie Downer on the situation, but like the print, it, the printed word is, it's always, it's just gonna, at this point, it's just gonna be a niche thing. I don't, I don't know if it's ever gonna take that massive upturn ever again. It's just gonna, I think it's just gonna kind of ma- maintain where it's at now. Yeah. Um, there's people who just love to read them and they're gonna read them. Right. And then there's like 
It's just like people who like to go to the bookstore and buy a book and read it in their hands. And there's other people who are just like, I'm just going to read it on my Kindle. Right. This is, it's just, in this day and age, it's just the way things are going to be. Right. And well, at some point, I doubt in either of our lifetimes probably, but at some point, we'll see print go away altogether. And at that point, everybody's books will become more valuable. So that's awesome. Awesome and sad, though, because there's nothing oh, no, like... Oh, sad for sure. There's, also, there's nothing like it. having it in your hands. Oh, no, I agree. But. 100%. Most most of us that are book readers in general at this point in the game are holding the hand types. My my goal is this, my, or my, my hope is this, not my goal, my hope is this, that there was a time when we went from reel-to-reel and vinyl and just like this massive analog time to cassette tapes and eight tracks, then to CDs and then to MP3s and then to even more complicated digital files. And now CDs kind of don't really exist. I mean, they do, but they don't exist anymore. And then Marvel or uh, Marvel <laughs> vinyls made a massive comeback because there's those people who want that, that warm analog sound. And then, sure. but a lot of people just like the day to day people just stream. They don't even bother buying anything. They just pay for subscription service and they stream. You know, and that, but like, but vinyl has made a massive resurgence. So like, I think that comic books could do the same thing, but the companies are going to have to take that step back. They're going to have to be like, yeah, let's not make a billion of this issue. We're just going to have to scale it back. It'll save that company money and then people can buy it still. You know, I think, I think it'll still exist just like vinyl did. It's going to come back. It's going to be, I think it's going to, I think it's going to, it's going to become more, it's going to matter more. Well, as far as print runs, they're they're already scaling that stuff back. I mean, but in a good way though. Like, do yeah. Instead of just doing like a million of one issue, they're going to do like we'll do a ten thousand this issue, and then we'll do a second printing and see how it goes. Huh, and that's then, and, where we're at, yeah, yeah. And I like that. I like that better than in like that that time period where there was like seven zillion copies of X Men number one by Jim Lee. You know what I mean? It was just like ridiculous back then. Well, the overprinting on all the covers, it wasn't just because of how many covers there were either. Like, Death Superman's most highly printed book ever, and the pinning because the internet wasn't a thing, and like there wasn't online stores because that wasn't a thing back then, you were stuck regionally paying whatever you had to pay to get the book if you wanted it. Now you fast forward to now, and these warehouses in California and Florida that sell copies sitting around reflooded the market, and even though maybe, you know, 20 years ago you paid 50 bucks for the book, now you can pay, I don't know, 10 for a really good copy. And so this doesn't hold the same value. But now if you look at New 52 Batman, New 52 Batman first prints, last time I looked, like two years ago, around 50 bucks a pop. And then they weren't even five years old. Well, I guess at that point they were, gosh, I mean, they were more like four years old. Third, fourth, fifth prints, I mean, that's what we're talking about, the... Reason it had so many prints after the fact is because stores just kept ordering it. So the collectability has definitely changed even now. I'm sure we'll see that move forward even more. I mean, that's just the situation we're in. But as a thing, I mean, it is it is getting there. So we'll see. As a thing. So speaking of Superman, it'll probably it's already out. But Superman number eighteen came out, and Superman finally revealed his secret identity. Clark Kent. He told the world. He's. I mean. Well, I would, ho- I, I hope that next week we cover that book. It sounds really awesome, but, um, he reveals to the world that he's Clark Kent. So I'm not going to dig too deep into it from what I know, but, um, it's, it seems pretty cool the way that it happens and pretty awesome. So, 
There's some um, cool character interactions with him. As far as Superman goes, if you don't know, then his secret identity's already been mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent, so he told the world that he is uh, both. Right. So, yeah, we'll see how that runs. There's some books that are talking about having fallout from it, so we'll see what happens. See, well, following that, there's a... This is a little bit of future news, I guess. They're getting ready to have a book come out um, in March this coming year. It's not terribly far away. Marvel's going to be doing a uh, series or book called Outlawed. And Outlawed is basically going to be a teen hero civil war. That's the best way to describe it. It's being written by Dr. Uh, Eve L. Ewing. And the art's going to be uh, Kim Jakito. Uh, and that's basically what's going to happen. Where the way they, they towed it kicking off is that Vi, the Vision's daughter, gets in some kind of altercation that causes problems, and uh, from there the government wants to get involved. So she was like Civil War, except now we're dealing with the teen kid heroes. And I guess we'll see how far it spans as a thing. It's, it's going to be an event in March, and I, I don't know if they've listed how long it's going to run or not. But it should be an interesting idea. I mean... It's cool when you can see all those kid characters together, and if they have to deal with the same thing the adults did, I guess we'll see how it goes. Um, so I think that'll be, I think that'll be neat. Um, Ewing's a good writer, so I think we'll see how it goes, but I am kind of excited for that. I guess it's more of a book to watch than it is really a uh, news element, but it's, it's new news, so there you go. Uh, that's, that's all, that's all I got about that. Um, Thomas Lennon, he is best known for, Reno 911. He's been in all sorts of things. He was originally on a um, sketch comedy show on MTV called The State. Um, he's actually a pretty brilliant screenwriter. Um, one of the most successful, actually, because of his the way that he writes screenplays and he like writes it with the minimal sets. So like financially, his movies make the most money for the amount that put into them because like the way he writes it makes the movie make a lot of money because the he's production costs are very low. Designed in a way you don't have to spend a lot of money because on the set dressing. Because he's a genius at production costs. But anyway, he's going to be playing... Um, he's replacing somebody who... The original guy, P- Peter um, Gadiot, was in season two, but he's going to be starting in season five, Mr. Mix's Pitlick in the Supergirl TV show. Right. So I actually kind of see that. It's kind of a cool idea. Like, well, the guy's best known for comedy stuff, really. I mean, all of his sketch comedy stuff in Reno 911, even that was kind of sketch comedy. Not, oh, yeah, for sure. So as a thing, Mixelix Plick, he's, he's kind of, I mean, he's a jokester, so, I mean, I think that makes sense. I don't have a lot of reference for the Supergirl stuff because there's major pieces of that show I haven't watched, so I don't know if it'd be bad or good, but I do like that guy as an actor in general, so I think that's cool. I... I, you know, is that crisis thing is currently going on? It is. So far, we've had three episodes come out. Um, I have only seen the first two. I'm not the biggest fan of those shows. They're kind of campy for me, like kind of like teeny bop, bopper. Like it was, makes me. It definitely dates me. Um, I've watched a few of them with you. And I'm like, eh, whatever. But I, I'm kind of excited to see Brandon Routh as King of Come Superman. He actually looks really good. Yeah, that- I always thought he looked the part fine. Well, yeah. The other guy that plays Superman in that universe, I'm not a fan of. Yeah. I, I don't think he looks the part. Like, he's too small. Yeah, when you put him next to Ralph, Ralph's also a very tall man, though. So, I don't feel like the guy doesn't fit the part, but as far as bodies... Even put him next to Cavill. Well, Cavill's, Cavill makes Ralph look small. 
But that's, and to yeah. me, Superman is no, I feel, yeah. a large man. And cast-wise, I feel like the big guy does, does his fine the part. But, I mean, I see what you're saying compared to other fellows. He, body-wise, he's not he's not as good as others body-wise. But the guy that plays Kingdom Come Batman, I don't, I don't, I don't like physically looking. I don't like the choice either. Well, so the sad part about that is he's the voice of Batman. That's fine. It's cool. I just, I don't think he looks the part. Well, he's he's older and slender and tall. Kingdom Come, it's not an exact copy either because they actually place both those characters in alternate universes. So, uh, Kingdom Come Superman is not in the same universe as what we perceive as Kingdom Come Batman. He, so, yeah, the version we get for Kevin Conroy is not, it's not really a Kingdom Come Batman, even though he's got the harness and everything like Kingdom Come Batman. Um, I'm not 100% happy with what they did with him, but it was really awesome getting to see Conroy play the part. I really wish we got him in a suit, which we, I guess we might by the end of this thing, but in general, like, it was just really cool having Conroy get the facial recognition for the part, because the dude's like, when you think of Batman, even if you're a newer animated fan or newer Batman fan, generally the voice you hear is Kevin Conroy. So, I thought that was freaking awesome. But, in general, he is also a tall, slender man, and he doesn't look the part of Kingdom Come, but he's not technically supposed to be Kingdom Come, even though they gave him the harness. So, there's that. Gotcha. Yeah, speaking of CW shows, though, um, we finally got a trailer for the new Stargirl show, which I think is awesome. Um, coolest part about it is uh, Starband, Sidekick, the guys who be playing Stargirl's um, stepfather, is Luke Wilson. And I think that is amazing, because I think that guy is great. So if you haven't seen that trailer, I want to say it just came out maybe yesterday. So you should check that one out, because I think that'll be neat, just as, as a show in general. And Luke Wilson's awesome, so... Luke Wilson is very awesome. I like the Wilson brothers together. Just, I mean, I mean just both, not... I mean, together and both, like... Just, Actor-wise, both of them are both, awesome. Both yeah, amazing, so. both both of them are great. But I think I think that's really cool. And you never know. I mean, we've seen cameos from other random people, so who knows? I mean, Jason Mewes even showed up in the Flash universe, so it's very possible they want to get get getting uh, getting the other brother also, Owen. So I guess we'll see. I mean, the trailer looked cool. I thought the costumes looked cool. It was neat seeing Stargirl using the staff, so you guys should check that out. If you don't know who Stargirl is, um, well, they kind of give you an origin for the show, which mentally I don't necessarily remember if that's the same in the comics or not, because it's been a minute since I read about her. But she was a character that wound up inheriting the staff that Starman used um, basically to fuel all his power. And As a thing, her look in general was based off Jeff John's sister, because he's the one that put her in the comic books. Um after his sister passed away is like a tribute, so that's pretty cool too, actually. And the last bit of news, this is just something I found randomly that I that I'm super excited about it. It's something that you and me have like talked in detail about over the years, which is really weird. But um there's a comic coming out called Paula's Dead. Um it's going to be released by Image Comics and it's coming out in April. And um it's gonna be written by Paolo Baron and drawn by Ernesto Carbonetti. And it's about the crazy um, theory that Paul McCartney died and what John Lennon, Ringo, and George 
do and how they handle the situation and whether they replace him with a fake Paul McCartney and um, all during the recording of Abby, um, of Sergeant Pepper uh, at, at Abbey Road Studios. Um, it's going to be a, a graphic novel. Um, it seems really cool idea. Um, the cover art that like the that I saw when I was looking into it looks really good. So um, I don't know if that's going to be what the interiors are, are like. I mean, at this point, early on, I would I, I would think maybe, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But um, it's, it's such a cool idea. I'm pretty excited about it to see where they go with it. So, yeah, big conspiracy theories there, and I fall on kind of in that boat. So awesome. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? I mean, as a thing, those names don't mean anything to me reference-wise, but that's the first I've heard of that. But as a conspiracy theory, yeah, Paul being replaced by a Faye Paul or a Shimp Paul, that's how you say it, Shimp Paul, makes perfect sense to me. Well, it's five months out, because it's, it's like yeah. April, April 28th, I think it said it's coming out, so right. it's like... It's like, that's five months out. Yeah. That's pretty far out, so. We won't get real solicits in, like, Diamond or c- real solicit solicits probably till, gosh, maybe March at the earliest. So, I guess we'll see. But, yeah, like, as an idea, I think that's a cool idea. All right. Um, so, I guess we'll go and roll into uh, to books. Uh, we're going to go start off with The Amazing Mary Jane, number one. This is uh, from Marvel Comics. As far as series are concerned, the cover's awesome. It's a Humberto Ramos cover. Uh, there was a handful of variants, and I wish I could remember the artist on the movie-esque variant, because that variant was amazing. Um, I know um, J. Scott Campbell did, on his site, like he did one of those things, like he yeah, put out a whole bunch like, of them. Uh, I guess 50s, or 60s, 70s. 80s and a 90s, yes, I think. Um, I don't know if there's an 80s one or not, but I know there's a 70s, a 50s. I can't remember if he did five of them. I think there's five. I think there's five. You have to go and hit. Yeah. I don't know how those, I don't know how that works. The but. only way you can get those is if you buy them from, from J. Scott Campbell's website. He basically turned himself into a store for his own variant covers. And it, it just makes it like, as, as a shop, the only way we could get them is if we bought them from him, then turned around and marked them up double the amount because you have to pay for shipping and everything else. So I guess if you were a store that had more, I don't know, I guess people that were like more cover chasey, it might be worth doing. But yeah, it's not a. So we did a sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, and the two thousands. So we did five. Right. And they all look cool. I mean, art wise, Jessica Campbell does one good thing. That's covers. He does. That's oh yeah. If he if he took the time and put a little effort into life and just like did actual books interiors, he does great. Yeah. He just I think, in my opinion, like I, he can come on the show and defend himself anytime he wants. But I think the dude's lazy. Well, there's definitely more money in covers. Okay, cool. But I think the dude's lazy. I mean, like I don't at the end of the day, he's just basically doing. He's drawing a picture, man. Like that's it. That's all he's doing. He's like he's not working with an artist or I mean a writer. To work through a book and do like, like his books were good when he was doing interiors. Oh, I agree. So I just I think I think it's to me I feel like it's laziness. Well, as far as like as a person, like uh, I mean, the guy's a fantastic artist, and as far as takeaway from that, but in life he's kind of a jerk. 
And yeah, you can catch a person, wrong person on the wrong day anytime, but I've caught that guy lots of days and lots of times. And He lives in Colorado. If he wants to yes. drive across the mountains, have a sit down with us and defend himself. <laughs> oh, he's never going to come this. He's never going to come far. Yeah. Reach us at top5comics at hotmail.com or on social media or anywhere. You can reach us. You know, it'd be awesome if he just, just was willing to come down and do a signing at the store, help the store out a little bit, and then he can defend himself if we talk trash for a reason. It'd be great. I'm not talking trash. No, no, no. I'm, I'm telling him he's amazing. Like, he's an amazing artist. I think he's just gotten lazy. Like, the world de- like the world deserves to see some interiors from that guy, because he's an incredible artist. Like, he just does such good work. And I just... Oh, cool. And it's a, n- another cover. Like... Oh, Neat. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, I just he did recently do a small batch of interior work on Spawn three hundred. A bunch of people did. Well, I mean, if you wanted to do <laughs> if you wanted to do a cover, you had to do interior. So, I mean, good on McFarland for that. So that's cool. But yeah, I, I agreed. I mean, Danger Girl was awesome when he was doing everything for it instead of just outlines and covers. There's some incredible artists out there. Humberto Ramos being one of them, and the right. guy does interiors, and oh, they're yeah. amazing. He's great, and it makes me buy the book. <laughs> Same with McGinnis, and when Ed McGinnis does something, oh, yeah. it makes me want to like buy that book. Sure. There's just certain artists that do that. If J. Scott Campbell did some interiors, I'd buy the book. Right. So anyway. Um, okay, we'll have the little tie right there. <laughs> um, so the book opens up, and we've got our redhead dressed in a uh, black, like, ninja leotard with a little face mask. And we she's given an elbow to uh, basically Dr. Octopus, just in a pink suit. And she turns around, and she's fighting Craven, and he's coming at her with swords. And she takes him out with a swift kick to the face. And uh, we chase forward from there with her battling Doc Ock a little more, and then eventually Doc Ock gets his arms on her, and uh, she screams out, help, help, she's being restrained. And at that point, we see a voice from off-screen yell, cut. And we pull back to find out that all these little fight scenarios have been inside of a movie set-type room with crazy-colored backgrounds. And uh, Mary Jane comes up to the girl to call cut, and she's like, oh, can I talk to you a little bit about my character? I mean, some of these lines are... And she gets interrupted by the director, or by the by the lady, and she says, "Yeah, they're just bad." And she goes, "Yeah, I know we're just making a teaser reel for investors, but the dialogue is kind of terrible." And uh, so the girl tells her to walk with her, and the two of them proceed to walk through the movie a lot. And we wind up finding out that Mary Jane's on a movie. And uh, as we're talking, the uh, the girl goes and knocks on this, the, a trailer door, and out comes a blonde dude, like server hairstyle, in a Spider-Man costume. Saver mask, reciting lines for himself over and over again, and the, the line they got him saying is, "My fault, all my fault. If only I'd stopped him, then I could have saved the captain's daughter, the police captain's daughter." So it's like a line from Spider-Man's life about Gwen Stacy, and we see he's Barry. He's he's hamming it up as he does it. So it's like he's an actor. Best we can tell, playing Spider-Man in a movie where Mary Jane is a sidekick to Spider-Man, I guess? I mean, we find out more as we go. Anyway, as you watch the movie a lot, we want to see a couple faces that... They're not necessarily recognizable because they're not in costumes, but we see a Constructor, and she decides that she needs to go find the director. And uh, the director is Mr. McKnight. And we see him, and he's a, I don't know, blonde guy, small glasses, looks like a director, whatever. 
And uh, she tries to chase him down, and he basically starts running from her. And while she's chasing him, she keeps thinking, like, well, why is this guy never around for me to talk to? Well, eventually she corners him in between two trailers in a, in a building, and uh, he, he's trying to talk to her. And partway through the conversation, he spins around, and we see this green mist appear out of everywhere. And we get the reveal that this is actually Mysterio. And he tells her, oh, don't scream, it's, it's fine. I, this isn't what you think it is. And she's like, what is going on? This is crazy. And he reveals to her that he is... Well, actually, just before we get the reveal, we see this. the next page is the title page. So we get this cool, like, Gone with the Wind image that's Mary Jane and Mysterio holding each other, like, a Gone with the Wind poster. It's pretty epic, actually. Um, from there, we cut to Mary Jane. So at this point, though, why is it... What's with the, the fetish of drawing... Spider-Man's villains with bowl, weird old school bowl cuts, because his hair in this in this scene looks like Doc Ock's weird bowl cut as well. Well, yeah. so hair-wise, I you know I couldn't tell you what his hair looked like initially because most of my memories of Mysterio are just the bowl on his head, it's like just, the fish bowl. But even, so there's two out of let's say two of the Sinister Six. They're characters from the seventies. I know, but like it, it, they're from the seventies. You had a flat top or a bowl cut. Those were manly haircuts, unless you're Craven, and then you look like a jungle adventurer or like Tom Selleck. Yeah. And he came around later, back when Tom Selleck was Magnum P.I. So, yeah. I mean, Norman Osborn has a businessman haircut, so there's only like four choices back in the day. Tom Selleck would be a good Craven hunter, wouldn't he? He would be. He'd be fantastic. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so yeah. So we joined, after after the uh, cool, like, Gone with the Wind picture, we joined Mary Jane Basically, in a standoff with Mysterio, like, what are you doing giving me the business style? And he informs her, well, all the money is real, everything's real, I'm just trying to make a movie, and this movie is supposed to be, like, kind of about my life, and it's my opus, and everything I've done bad was trying to get to making this, and I need your help, because you're the linchpin to make this movie work. And prior to Mary Jane, like, being married to Spider-Man, in her life in Marvel, she's been a model, she's been an actress, she's been Tony Stark's... Um, liaison and replace of Pepper Potts, uh, Spider-Man's wife, like, she's got kind of a long track record of crazy things she's done. But of those, one of them was being a socialite and a celebrity model actress. So, it makes sense that he wants her, and her being as connected to Spider-Man as she is, which the world doesn't know the secret of Spider-Man at this point, so it's just that she's been around him a lot, so it gives it authenticity. But he informs her that all the money he's raised is real money and that he had to pose as Mr. McKnight because no investor would give Mysterio money to make a movie because Mysterio is a supervillain. And so he knew that he had to pose as somebody else. And of course, then she gets afraid that Mr. McKnight's been killed because, you know, that's generally what you do. And so she starts questioning about, well, where's Mr. McKnight? What's going on with him? And he's like, oh, no, don't worry. He's safe. He's fine. He, he thinks he's making a movie in the Arctic about penguins. <laughs> the jaws of penguins. And she's like, what? He's like, I even have a baby monitor watching him. And then she, like, he like shows her on his phone the baby monitor. And it's got this director guy. So it's worded as he, he thinks he's making the jaws, as in like the the shark movie jaws, yeah. of penguins. Like the the penguin version of that. Right. Hilarious. So funny. He's like, it's going to take him forever to cast the right penguin. And it's like him wandering around talking to the penguins in this office iceberg, basically. He's like, so I don't have to worry about him showing up and ruining things. And she's like, okay, well, if he's not dead and, like, 
you know, what you're doing is kind of on the up and up. And she's like, but you have a lot of super criminals working here. He's like, well, I'm just trying to give everybody else a down and out break that I needed. And so the few super villain faces we see, if you recognize them, are there because in theory he's supposed to be lending a helping hand to down and out criminals. Which is believable enough, I guess, you know, whatever. And then uh, she says, well, we're going to have to talk about my character then, because, like, her whole motivation is terrible, her dialogue's terrible, and we're going to have to work on this. He's like, oh, I'm not going to let you strong-arm me. And she's like, um, are you kidding? And as they start wandering, walking through the different sets and different backlot parts, they start talking about the depth of her character, and she's making all these suggestions, and some of them make sense, and he's like, okay, let me show you some cool stuff I've got. And he takes her through this warehouse full of robots from his criminal days, and there's like a set of the um, original Fantastic Four, the X-Men, and she, he's like, they're all real robots. And she's like, okay, because no, no, like real robots I use for crimes. And she's like, uh, what? Uh, anyhow, so we wanted to go through like all that stuff. We get a whole bunch of cool like backdrop pieces, and Partway through, they get on a uh, like a little scoot, like a, a golf cart, and they're riding around the lot. And at one point, we get one of these stagehands looks at the two of them. He's like, "I guess we know why she got the part to one of the other guys." And Mysterio hears him, and he jumps out the cart and basically grabs the dude by his by his throat, and like starts talking about how we're making art. You can't talk down to my star. Blah blah blah, like all intense director guy style. And then right afterwards, fires the dude, and. uh it's pretty intense for a second, and we get a whole lot of people that record it on their phones. And he tells the security to drag the guy away, and so that happens. And the Mysterio shows off that he's got one of his other hollow projections he used to make himself look giant. He's going to use that for the movie, and of course he displays it for her and shows off how it works. And Mary Jane's like, okay, well, as long as everything's on the up and up, then I'm, I'm cool with doing this. And uh, from there we cut to a scene of Spider-Man, who's hanging on the wall talking on his cell phone to Mary Jane. And behind him is this giant octopus squid thing, like, smashing up this, inside of a, this, basically like a Walmart, I guess. And uh, she's like, how was your day? And he starts talking about, oh, it's all fine, you know, doing stuff, working out. And how was your day? And she starts talking about the movie. Of course, she negates to mention the Mysterio part. And uh, through the conversation, like, eventually they, they have, I don't know, like, weird couple talk stuff. And she's like, are you sure you're okay with being in this movie with... That's basically about you and your supervillains, but making your supervillains identifiable. So, like, the Joker movie that just happened, kind of. Except less intense, based as we can tell. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's fine. You know, do whatever makes you happy, blah, 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 blah. And partly through the conversation, she, she convinces them to have a dance party with her real quick. And so they both, we both get scenes of the two of them, like, dancing by themselves for each other. It's really kind of like, I don't know, it's like a weird, sweet, cute kind of thing. Um, anyhow, we cut from that to our linchpin catch at the end, and part of the advertising gimmick that Mysterio is using for the movie is using social media, and of course, with all those cameras that caught him shaking down the dude at the, at the film studio, with all the stuff in the background, some people saw that they probably shouldn't. Um, and we're basically joining a room full of real Superman villains, or real, sorry, real Spider-Man villains. Uh, so we have the Vulture, we have the Rhino, um, the Scorpion, and they're all, like, watching the, t the, the monitors, seeing this stuff happen, and the Vulture's like, hmm, looks like we're going to Hollywood, guys. And that's, like, the catch for, like, what the rest of the book's gonna be about, really, is 
them trying to avoid getting dead by all the other supervillains who are not so happy with the idea of uh, Mysterio making them look bad and making himself look awesome. Uh, as far as the book, like it was fun. Like I, I like the art a lot. Uh, the tone of the book is just fun. Like it's, I don't think it's going to change the world, but as a thing, it was a neat book. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, at this point, we've had issue two come out. Three actually just dropped this week. So if you're be, if you haven't got into it at all at this point, there's three books for you to get on, and all of them are fun. Like they're just fun, neat books, and like the way she deals with the situation is very like heads up and smart. So as a score, man. I'm going to give it a four because it was just fun. Like, I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was fun to read. The, like I said, the art's good. It, the Even the weird dance party, as weird as it is, it was really pretty cute. So, like, as a thing, I'm super happy with this book. Um, yeah, I give it a four. Josh, you want to tell us what you know about The Amazing Mary Jane? I give it a four also. I think it's amazing. Um, I love the art in it. The cover alone, to be honest with you, I think this artist... This cover art is better than like the J. Scott Campbell cover arts. I love, I love me some Ramos. I think he's amazing. Well, it's a really fun cover. I mean, it's so cool. Like yeah. it's, it, I just, and he's done Spider Man for so long off and on that like every time he does a Spider Man run, I buy it. Like that's just kind of my jam. Like I love Spider Man. I just, I can't keep up on things as much. Like I usually just kind of pick and choose. And I, whenever Ramos does a run, I just, I'll pick it up. And so the story itself, I think, is. It's just interesting enough, and it's a there's adorable cuteness to it. There's funness. There's happy. It's like it could. Be, it's just. It's not super deep. If it if it was a swimming pool, it's the swimming pool in the backyard of somebody in California that like it has like three foot to six feet deep. That's it. It's like you can swim a couple laps in it, kind of, but it's not like. It's not this a massive, amazing swimming pool, but it, it does the job. It does exactly what you need it to do. Like it, it makes you feel good. It's it's a feel good comic. It's whether it's a miniseries or it's an ongoing or whatever they decide to do with it. It's her first end of it, like solo book, so it's cool. I'm into it. I like Mary Jane as a character. She's very independent. She's very clever. Um, we get all that in here. Like when she's talking to. To Mysterio, like everything she says is like a trap for him to mess up so she can get the truth. It's awesome. But her husband is Spider Man. Right, exactly. And so at this point in the game, they're not, the whole remembering whether they were married or not is not necessarily a thing currently. Still, uh, one more day did away with that. But at one point, yes, they were married. I think, I thought they said that they're. Well, they've got them back together as a couple, and she apparently has all the memories, best we understand, but. Parker, we still don't know exactly how far his memories of the previous life go. Let's just assume they're married. Yeah. Since they already were. Ultimately, if the memories come back, then they would be. But yeah, as a thing, it's still kind of a hiccup in there. But I give it a four as well. I liked it. So it's a good book. Heck yeah. Um, All right. We'll move on to the uh, Power Rangers or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one. All right. This book is written by Ryan Perot, um, illustrated by Simon DeMeo. It begins with all of the Power Rangers and the Ninja Turtles weapons stabbed into random parts of random places, like a diner um, somewhere in space. Looks like Rita Repulsa's place. A bunch of other places. And there's people talking. 
it's, it's talking about family. It's talking about drifting apart. Think things being changed. Like the next scene is the five Power Rangers, not six. Right. Green Ranger, not there, fighting some sort of called himself. He, he's calling himself Apocalyptopus. It's hilarious. Um, some sort of like. Part squid, part octopus monster octopus guy. Octopus monster yeah. guy with green lights coming out of his mouth or something. Plus a bunch of, uh, like minion people from Rita, the gr- little gray guys. The putties. And they're, and they're fighting him. They're taking care of business. They're doing their thing. At one point, Jason says, you know, is your boyfriend going to join us? It'd be a lot easier if he did. And to Kim, she's a pink ranger. And, he, and she's like, um, first of all, not my boyfriend. Second of all, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't have an idea. And then it's such like a weak monster that all they have to do is put all their weapons together to make like that ma- that massive crossbow thing. They don't even have to get the swords out. The giant gun form. And they shoot it and they take care of business. So the next page is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and they're in a rooftop somewhere in New York and they're fighting the Foot Clan and they're having a conversation about if you were human, what trait would you want the most? And... Um, Michelangelo's like, shoes, and um, Leonardo's like, uh, hair, I guess, and Donatello's like, five fingers for sure, and Raphael is just Raphael, he's just like, nothing, I don't want, I don't want anything to be a human, wow, I'm so angry, Ugh. Turtle banter, it'd be stupid to be a human. Yeah, and so, as they're fighting these guys, all of a sudden, um, one of the Foot Clan's Masks gets knocked off, and Raphael's one on one with him, and the dude just whoops him. Kind of rules him, yeah. Takes him down, and just like this works him. And then all of a sudden, they like they do the, which is amazing. They're like, "Clan on me now, ninja vanish!" And they throw the smoke down, and then they disappear. Which is a throwback to what CBS? Well, throw like the turtles of the movies, man. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, yeah. Ninja Vanish. Right? But it's not the Turtles doing it. It's the Foot Clan doing it. Which is amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. And they're like, what the heck just happened? Raph just get beat up by a guy from the Foot Clan? And he's like, you know, one thing would be nice about being human, I wouldn't be stuck with living with you three. And they're like, whatever, man. We're just teasing. And, he, you know, he's being all, like, sulky. So the next scene is um, the Power Rangers in Angel Grove sitting in the diner. And they're, like, talking about, like... Missing math tests, mix, miss, missing tests, and like this and this. And Jason is just like, hey guys, like, why, you know, I'm sorry that you didn't pat, like, do a good on your test, but like, we're I literally saving the world from giant monsters. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's, we're doing what we need to do. And the next scene is Kimberly sitting at the Power Rangers Tower thing, talking to Zordon. Zordon and Alpha about like where Tommy is and they're like he hasn't used his morpher. If he did, you guys, we could track him. Um, as soon as he does, we'll send you guys to find him. We don't know what's going on. And then the next scene's back in New York City and it's where the Foot Clan, their secret headquarters, and it's a female, some sort of Shredder's general, it seems like, um, talking to them about finding some weapon. And, um, she talks to Tommy about how well he's doing and how, how fast he's moving up and how awesome he is as a, as a, as a, as a foot clan member. And then sent like kind of sends him on his, on a mission. And then it's, it's him like doing a stealth mission onto, um, 
a place called Mason Technologies, and he breaks in and he grabs the thing, and as on his, on his way out, the turtles are there for him, and they like instead of just doing, he's by himself, so he just immediately says Dragon Zord and turns into the Green Ranger. And they're like, uh, is that a Power Ranger? And they're like, yeah, that figures. And which I think is weird. They're like, oh, it figures. We're going to fight a Power Ranger now. And he kind of like pretty much starts whooping all of them. Like Raph wants to take another shot at him, but he's like taking on all of them. But as soon as he turns on his, he uses Morpher, what happens? The five Rangers show up. Right. So. The, the 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 turtles and the Power Rangers kind of face off with one another with like it's a big sp- amazing spread with Turtle Power Go Go Power Rangers you know it's Jason versus Leo and Billy versus Donatello etc cetera, etc cetera. and Kimberly gets face to face with Tommy and she's like what's going on and he's like just gotta trust me like I can't tell you everything right now something's going on you just gotta trust me and she's like all right so Raph swings in to kind of to stop Tommy and Kimberly kicks him and says, we got it. Um, go now. We've got him. And Raph's like, um, we, your boyfriend's bait on his sweetheart. And she's like, uh, I wasn't talking about him. And then Trini comes out of nowhere and like knocks Raph out. And then, um, it's the female, like foot clan general, like staying on rooftop with binoculars, watching the fight go down. And Shredder comes out and she's like, why didn't you tell me he was a power ranger? And she's like, um, I, I needed to earn, like I needed to, have like earn you needed to earn confidence with me and she's like but Oliver will bring me what I require and the Power Ranger will be mine to command so um so whatever he's sending after in theory is supposed to give him somehow give Shredder control over the Power Rangers over the over the Green Ranger well seems the way he acts it's like he's going to control all of them I mean it just says Ranger like singular oh, it? okay yeah. I thought it was plural but yeah, like as a thing, clearly whatever he's doing, because at one point while he's in there with talking to uh, Kimberly, he says, "You gotta trust me," and like acts like whatever he's doing, he must have an idea what he's doing. But it always seems to be the Green Ranger that gets led to the dark side to do whatever. And I mean, he, as far as a thing, he's the most long-term member of any of the Power Ranger groups. But his rough start was rough, I guess. But it's like classic style. Original Power Rangers, I mean, the whole diner scene is straight up from the show, and all the stuff with the turtles, it was hilarious when they're like, oh, it figures it's a Power Rangers, so as if they know the Power Rangers exist, they just haven't dealt with them. And even when the group shows up, they're like, what kind of monsters are these? Are these bargain basement, like, monsters? Talk about the turtles. Right. So it's just hilarious the way the two of them, like, kind of play off each other. So a true meeting of the minds, I guess. So, me... I don't do this very often, and I'm going to get a little wacky, okay? Very rarely have I done this. I don't think I've done it yet. I might have done it one time. And then when I say very often, I don't know if I've done this yet. I feel like I have given one other book this number before. Okay. And it's ridiculous, I understand, as hard as we are on things on this show. But we, we, you know, we give them the numbers that we generally feel about things. But I give this book a five. Oh, man. A solid five out of five. And right. here's why. The art from cover to cover, including the cover, is incredible. Oh, yeah. There's an amazing amount of action scenes in this, and the action translates. It's really, really good. The writing is hilarious. 
and funny and it's somebody who genuinely loves the Ninja Turtles and the Power Rangers both and just did an amazing job. Like the Ninja Vanish thing, like the, is this a bunch of like, was it B-list monsters? Like, I mean, just all of it. Like, like Tommy, like, I don't know, man. Like the whole thing is like every character was written properly. It flowed. Like it leaves you hanging at the end, just the right amount of stuff. I mean, it, it was just, it was so well done. Like I was shocked. I mean, I, I'm into both of those things. I like him. Sure. And there's some, there's been some funky crossovers with both of them. Oh yeah. But this one makes so much sense. And I don't, I'm just, I was blown away. I was like, wow, this book is, I, I went in and be like, hey, it'll, it'll be all right. And I was like, this book is amazing. Like I actually excited to read the second issue. Yeah. So. It was pretty fun. Like as as a thing in general, like both the series that have been going on, like the the Power Rangers. There's two different books, and like Hit or Miss on Go Go, Mighty Morphin for the most part's been strong, but this particular like mashup has been awesome. And the Turtles over at IDW, like what they've been doing over there has been good too, as a as a property in general. But like this guy, it's a mixture between Boom and IDW. And the two of them teaming up, they just landed, like, the right tone. Because neither book is more one or the other. It's very in the middle, as far as, like, what we get presentation-wise. But, yeah, the art's great, story's great. And it's kind of like the, the 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 current Power Rangers books have had, like, that, the the helmet on, this, on the cover. Oh, right, yeah. And so it's even kind of like a, a mix of that as well, which I thought was cool. Well, yeah, when they, re- when they started the first um, Boom Mighty Morphin... Like, the normal covers, they did one of each of the helmets with the rangers holding them, like, in their hands. This guy actually has... It has a whole series of covers, actually. There's normal. There's the normal group cover, which is just the, the rangers and the turtles as a group on the front. Then they did four variant covers of each of the different turtles on this particular cover holding the red ranger helmet. But you, the difference is you see their, their, their bandanas hang different. And their fingers are slightly different. So there's four versions of the same cover, but with tweaks to what's going on in the background as to which turtle is holding the helmet. And the way it looks, we're going to get a set of those for every book until it's done. So that means every helmet. And uh, it's crazy, but it's kind of awesome. Score-wise, man, you know... I remember the Power Rangers going on, but I was never, I don't think I was right, I don't think I landed in the right place for it to be, like, my main jam. Turtles, of course, always have been. And I like the Power Rangers, it's fine, I just am not as married to them as, just my age was the wrong age to be in the right place for it. Um, but I did like this book a lot. Uh, I give it a four and a half, I mean, it was fun. It, art-wise, it can't say enough about the art, the art's just so good. Like, the turtles look awesome, the rangers look awesome, and nuance between the turtles is awesome too, not just their weapons, but like the way their belts sit, the way their shells look. It's awesome. Just so good. So yeah, I give it a four and a half. Pretty impressed. Super awesome book. I mean, even if you're not like the biggest fan of either of them. No, yeah, like I'm I saying, think you'd still enjoy it. Like it's just yeah. such a good book. Like Team wise, if you if you're if all the the only exposure you've ever had was like one of the cartoons for Turtles and then 
the original Turtles show or even a middle, any of the Tur- any, sorry, any of the, uh, Power Rangers shows, even if you're not like a major fan of either one of those two things, this mix together is just so cool. And like the way the characters play off each other, like the Turtles talking trash to each other the whole time, awesome. Like it's, yeah, it's pretty good. It's definitely fun. So if you want to read a book that's fun, both this Mary Jane and this are both just fun books. Yeah, I give it four and a half, so score-wise, it's pretty good. This is very good. All right. Let's see. Well, after that, we have the we have the uh, New New Year's Evil from DC Comics. This is the 2020 edition, which I don't think there has been another one, but that's fine. Issue-wise, so there's ten stories in here total. Uh, so we have ten different groups, ten different stories. Uh, as far as overall payoff, I'd say they're all of them are fun, but we'll, we'll kind of go through each of them sort of shortly. And then give like a major score at the end of the book. Uh, so the first one, the first story is uh, the Joker in the Amateur. So that's the full title, Joker in, and then in quotes, the Amateur. Uh, and this one's written by Gabriel Hardman and Cora Bacho, Becho, Bacho, Bicho. It's B E C H K O. Sorry if you say that. And the artist is also Gabriel Hardman. And when this thing opens up. It's New Year's Eve, Gotham Square. Um, it's 11.59, so right before midnight. And we have a fella who's on the ground with, like, Joker-looking lips, his skin all whited out, and his hands are all contorted, and he's got a blank stare and this crazy Joker smile. And it's not the Joker, it's a dude. And uh, this people happen upon him, and they're like, oh my gosh, is he dead? Oh, don't don't get close to him, it, it's gotta be Joker gas. And so they're, they're videotaping him on their phones, and then the, everyone starts running away, and eventually a whole herd of people are running away. And this is in the middle of the crowd downtown. And as this happens, of course, people start trampling each other and just trying to get away from the supposed Joker gas. From there, we cut to a, a TV scene where they are talking about the crazy, uh, crazy attack downtown, uh, middle of Gotham, right before New Year's Eve. The Joker's attacked again. And then they, they mentioned they haven't had any confirmed body counts yet. And we cut from there to the actual Joker, who's in the process of holding up like a rich party, that's a New Year, like a rich New Year's Eve party, and he's got everybody tied up and gagged, and he's got a fellow that he's getting ready to do work on, and he's like, so what's your New Year's resolution? And his whole plan is to use their resolutions to kill them, is basically what we get out of it. Um, from there, he winds up hearing a TV that mentions the Joker's crazy attack downtown, and that leads him into another room. He's like, what is it? when he walks in the room, he's, he's, he's like, finally, he finds two more people who are hiding, who accidentally turn on the TV. But the Joker notices the talk on the TV, and assuming it's about what he's doing, once he realizes it's not, he is not happy. Um, at that point, he full-on decides to leave the party, lucky partygoers, to go deal with this problem downtown. And he's super pissed. Um, from there, we join a fellow sitting on the edge of the top of a building, watching the video of him on YouTube, and this is the guy with the Joker makeup on, the uh, guy pretending to be dead, and he's laughing about how he did more than the Joker could ever do in one night, and he didn't even kill anybody. They're just tearing themselves apart, and like, completely enthralled himself. Um, about that time, as he's taking calls to like, a buddy of his to help him do the makeup and help him set it all up talking about how proud he is of his uh, hoodwink on the city, um, the Joker shows up to intercept his phone and hang up the call on the guy he's talking to, 
And then from there, the Joker and him basically have a really good, like, monologue, like, banter-wise. Um, the whole time, the Joker being like, you're not really me, you didn't do anything. And he's like, yep, but I managed to do more than you could in one night without even doing anything. So I'm a better Joker than you are. And it's this whole, like, battle of wits between the two of them. And it gets to the point where the Joker pulls a gun, and the Joker is getting ready to shoot him. He's like, oh, wait, that'll just give you what you want. Um, i got to handle this differently. And, uh... About that time, we see Batman arresting the Joker, driving him off in the bat in the uh, Batmobile. He's like, "Oh yeah, totally, I did it. I did all of it. It's all me. It was all me all the time. Nobody else perpetrated this crime." And Batman's like, "Yeah, this isn't your normal crime. There's no body count. Like you didn't do this." And then we wind up seeing a cut to the fellow from the roof, and uh, when the Joker pulled the gun, he did fire it, but a bang flag came out, you know, Joker style. Um. And when we finally see the guy again, he's been impaled on the Joker's bang flag. His body left for someone to discover it maybe later, if ever. So the Joker gets the last laugh because he kills the dude, and he takes credit for everything the dude did. But the banner between the two of them is great. I think it's really good. Um, like As far as the story is concerned, if we're going to give an overall score to the whole book, let's do that at the end. But I was really pretty impressed. The art's gritty, which I think makes sense for this story. Because the tone is gritty, but it's a, a dude that managed to basically get the best of the Joker, sort of. Uh, but I was pretty impressed with it. For like a little, for like a short story, it was really great. And the dialogue between the two of them is fantastic. Like, I was, I was completely impressed with that. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Uh, Josh, we'll move on to the uh, second story there. All right, so the next story is a Superman story. It's written by Kenny Porter and um, drawn by Ramon Villalobos. Um, starts out in Metropolis Annual Winter Holiday Parade, which would probably be kind of like the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, it seems like. A bunch yeah. of people sitting there watching. Clark and uh, Lois are on the side watching as the parade goes on. And all of a sudden, there's an explosion. And out of the explosion comes a electric blue Superman from that time period. A weird, like, techno Batman-looking guy and a Kyle Reiner-esque looking guy, robot. And they're all robots, and it's the Toy Man. And he's, like, um, just spouting as, like, this is my new line of Extreme Justice League figures, which, if you think back to the KB Toys exclusives... There was a series of figures called that. Yeah, which is hilarious. Right, and it would have been the same time frame that we had Blue Superman, which is also yep. hilarious. And, of course, he's super pissed because all these kids just pay attention to their phones. They need to get action figures. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, he's kind of right, but, you know. So Superman, like, you know, rips up in his suit and... Um, this weird Batman, like, super extreme Batman weird-looking thing, like, takes a swing at Lois, and Superman stops it and breaks it. And then he's like, oh, Toy Man comes out of nowhere, he's like, oh, but guess what I have? I have a Red, red Sun generator. And so Superman starts to struggle, and then, um, he all of a sudden has a kryptonite chain? Yeah, it's kryptonite colored. Like he turns on the generator, and the generator makes—it's the opposite effect that the sun has on Superman, so it makes him weak, like a normal dude, but weaker because it's maybe it's the green 
Uh, I, it, it looks like a, a... It looks like a kryptonite chain, but it, I don't think it actually is. It must be from the Green Lantern robot, but I don't know how... Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, He's talking about this this uh iPad that's been smashed, and I don't, cr- I don't care if it's Christmas, you're not going to brainwash these kids into buying your junk. And he tells Superman, he's like, I'm, you know, and of course they'll love all my new toys. Um, can't you see Superman? And he literally holds up. They, the funny thing is the, the packages, it says Toy Man Justice. Right. But the Hawkman and the, um, Green Arrow figures are the figures from that line. The Total Justice line of figures, yeah. yeah. It full-on is. Which, again, is hilarious. It's 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 the... Who's the second Green green Arrow? Like, the, oh, one, the uh, one from that time period. Connor Hawk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Connor Hawk. It's that figure. And then the, the uh, Hawkman with the armor. And, uh, and he's, like, he's basically spewing... They'll be fighting for a chance to have their favorite heroes and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you don't care about Christmas at all. And uh, he's like, you're just understand, you're just misunderstanding the holiday spirit, Superman. And all of a sudden, somebody hits Toy Man in the face with the snowball, and all the kids are like, "The only reason we're here to stop you, Toy Man, is because we saw it on our phones, and that's how that's how we do it. And we like toys too, but we just don't like your toys." And then the kid jumps up and like rips, starts ripping electronics out and disables the Red Sun generator, so Superman gets his powers back, and he uh, destroys all the robots. And Toy Man's Sabbath, you know, his his uh, plot is his plot is thwarted by the children. Thwarted by the children, which is who he wanted to begin with. As he's being escorted to the cop car by the police, he's like, "Oh, just once, I wanted to give give someone something they actually enjoy that I built." And and they're like, "Wait, what's that?" And it's like their parade float car thing that he was driving. Like Superman's flying it with all the kids and Lois on it, and he's just like, "Hey, what do you know about that?" And it ends kind of on like a, like a little cool note. Happy sad note, because it, it's the giant sleigh that was the thing that the guy, all the extreme superheroes popped out of. Yeah, it was like his, his, it was his, his parade sleigh. float. Yeah. And Superman's carrying all the kids around it like it's a fun ride. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so Toy Man kind of won. Yeah. You know, even though he's going to jail. He just, wants, jerk. he just wanted the kids to not be on their phones. Exactly. This artist, I mean, I, I don't want to take away from him as an artist, but it's very Frank, Frank Quietly-esque. I can see that style wise they're similar. Yeah, like he he might I would I would think that maybe he might I didn't do the research but maybe he inked for him or something or oh uh, yeah I don't know I mean because that scene right here oh yeah there's a couple of face shots that are very like a la Superman uh oh gosh what was the what was the name of it last day last son Superman last oh dang it it's the one with Lex Luthor and Superman. Dealing with Superman dying from... Superman, All-Star Superman. All-Star, gosh, that was so hard for me to remember the name at all. So, yeah, good, good on you for that, because every single story is explained by Superman exactly how I was explaining it just now. I mean, not everyone, but most of them. Anyway, okay, so on to the third story, gosh. Uh, this is Sinestro, Bright and Terrible is the name of the story. Uh, this is written by uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, and uh, the art is by Summit Kumar. And uh, when we first open up, we're outside of a planet, and we've got a, a batch of dialogue, or well, internal monologue going on, and it says it's Sector 1417, and it's interpersonal thoughts of who we learn in a second is Sinestro, and it's talking about how he, he used to believe in hope, and he used to believe in the world, and he used to believe in 
all these different things. Uh, then we turn to the next page, we find Sinestro flying through space, and he's uh, talking to a hologram of Lex Luthor, and Lex Luthor tell, gets a hold, tells him, oh, you're off course, Sinestro, where are you going, what are you doing? And uh, he tells him, well, he's got to check on something, he's got a curiosity, There's something he's noticed that is different than the last time he was there. And uh, from there, we cut back to a flashback showing Green Lantern. And this is a planet that he's visited before, and he wants to finish it. He talks about... Uh, Kalosh? I think is the name of the how you pronounce it? Kalosh. Kalosh. Anyhow, that's, so he's talking about the planet he used to uh, occasionally protect. And during the flashback, we see that he stopped a civil war on the planet between two different people. And in the process of doing that, they started to believe him as a god and uh, worship him as god. And now he sees these people and the planet itself is not much better, but all of them are gathered around a giant fire and chanting and he doesn't quite understand what they're chanting about. And once we get a close-up on the people, we see that there's a giant statue of Sinestro, you know, painted with Green Lantern colors because he was Green Lantern at the time. And there's one particular of these aliens in the middle, and he's preaching to the group about how they have to give tribute and what they owe, and they have to pay their tribute to the to the god who they're talking about, Sinestro. And at first, Sinestro is kind of like, oh, I recognize him. Whenever I saved his people, he was a young man. And we get another flashback where we see Sinestro basically saving his people from the other faction of war. And as he's talking to him, he tells him that if you want to conquer your fears and you want to conquer your enemies, you have to conquer fear. You have to conquer your enemies with using your own fear. So it's like the presence of the Yellow Lantern was already in his mind. And he raises this guy the riot act about, oh, you've got to do this to conquer your enemies and drive them before you. So very Conan-esque, I guess. And we cut to the modern time, and uh, he's been given this tribute by this family, and he is not happy with the tribute, the uh, fellow from the planet. And he turns his weapon on them and tells them, if you if you fail in your, your, your sacrifice, you will have to be sacrificed yourself. And he's basically getting ready to kill these people. And Sinestro's like, oh, this isn't right. And so he flies in, he smashes the heck out of the statue, and as he lands... All the people recognize him as their god, and he grabs the current priest, the man who was getting ready to kill the others, and he tells them, what you're doing isn't right, what you're doing is punishing your own people with, 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 your, with your power for no reason. And he basically reads the riot back to how terrible he is about what he's doing, and he's informed by the priest that this is what you taught me, this is what you've been living by, and he tells all of the people that there's a new rule, they have to be nice to each other. They have to treat each other equitably. And if not, he was going to be back and he was going to exact vengeance on all of them. And he flies off into the sky. Um, very, like, with his ar- the armor looks awesome. Um, as a thing, like, he, he the armor it, itself was just to show more strength. Um, but in the process of leaving, we see a flashback to the surface, and the surface says, well, today will be a new day for us. And the logo on his sh- on his suit while he's flying around is these set of rings, these circles. And we see them draw that in the ground, so they just shifted their way of looking at him as a god, I guess. Uh, it's a pretty cool little story, and kind of like a, I don't know, one of those learning your own lesson kind of situations for him. Uh, it, art's great, stories neat, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, 
learn from your own mistakes kind of lesson, I guess. So, I don't know, I thought it was cool. Uh, so, we'll move on to the next, uh, the next story there, Jones. So, the next story we have is a Poison Ivy story. Um, it is called Audling Ivy, and written by Jim Krieg, and drawn by An- Aneke, A-N-E-K-E, Anek, I-, I would think it's more like Aneke or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. So, it's, uh, it's post-Christmas. Right. Um, poised Ivy's walking down the street and she's seen all these dead Christmas trees and she's like mad about it, about how people just leave the poor tree, trees just like to die and like they're dead on the street and they don't care. And she goes into this bar called the Sea List and she walks in and it's just like a bunch of Sea List villains. Super villains, yeah. Um, grabs herself a cocktail and, uh, in walks the penguin and he walks up and just talking to her and, uh, He's smoking, and she's, like, basically telling him maybe it's time you quit. And, uh... He talks about hey, how he has no control over it, and he tried, and it's just too hard to quit. Goes up to Orca, and Orca's just, like, pounding food, and he's just like, ah, like, I can't stop eating. And she's like, I, I think you maybe get some control. And then uh, goes up to, um... Then she goes up to the abacus, and he's like the, uh... He's accounting for all the bad guys. Yeah, for all the mob ring and all that kind of oh, stuff. That's right. His 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 character name is Abacus. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. He's he's the accountant to hide all your money. And he's just, like, super insecure, and she's, you know, obviously, post time he's really pretty. And right. So, and she's, like, looking around the room, and they're like, they're all pathetic, they just need to some sort of resolve to change their lives and like it hits midnight and it's like happy new year blah 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 so she turns on her poison ivy gas like pheromone thing that she does magic kisses and goes and like tells like like uh chester he's like shake yeah you don't need you don't need to smoke nicotine has no power over you and goes to um goes over to orca and is like you have control over your appetite. You only eat what's good for you. And then it goes to Abacus and like, you're not shy around women. You're confident. And, and then she's like, all right, I've done my job. Like I did my, my new year's good deed and I'm going to leave. And then, um, Abacus comes out and he's like, Hey, good looking, like wait up. And he just, he gets super aggressive with her. Oh yeah. He creepily follows her out of the bar. Like, but, but like it's very aggressively creepy. Yeah. And so she just summons the, uh, a Christmas tree and it just shreds him. And she's like, I wanted to help someone. The evening's not a total loss. And now I will. And it's just him laying, like cut into multiple pieces. Oh yeah. He's, he's a bloody mess. Like it's, it's funny at the very beginning when she's talking about, all the dead trees and wandering through the street. She's like, I've got to try to connect the more human side. So this is the one time a year I'm going to try to do that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And like she, even when she leaves the bar, she's like, this will only last for a few hours, but at least I give them some relief from their own problems. And that's when he follows her out all crazy style, but it ends very badly for him. It's uh yeah, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> He's just a bloody mess. It's crazy. Um, so the next story is, uh, is the titling is Aries, or sorry, it's Aries in Winter's Root. So it's a Wonder Woman story. 
Um, and it opens up, of course, we're watching war, and Wonder Woman's there trying to stop these people from fighting and kind of put them in their place, and then she winds up realizing that the whole reason the town is battling each other is because of what's going on above them, and it's Ares sitting next to this tree. And so she goes up there, and she finds Ares sitting at the foot of this crazy-looking, like, oak dead tree, and uh, he's got his sword in the, in the ground, and he's got a sword laying in front of him, and he tells her that he wants to fight. And he needs a war, and he's like, you're going to bring me a war. And so he basically starts going at her, and the whole time she's like, why are you doing this? Like, what is your problem, man? And uh, as he throws blows at her, she just bounces them off the gauntlets, and is just subduing him as they battle, and he keeps telling her to pick up the sword, pick up the sword. And eventually she lashes him with the last of truth and starts shaking out what's going on, really. Um, but she is forced for a second to pick up the sword and defend herself, and the process of that is when we start getting the flashback to explain why we're here. And what we find out is this village used to be inhabited by a different group of people back centuries ago. And the queen of the island were a, a batch of people that worship Poseidon. And she fell in love with Ares. He supposedly fell in love with her and uh, betrayed her people and her belief in the god of the ocean to follow him as her god. And that bring downfall to her people. And now that all the fallouts happen, she's up there yelling at him about how you're supposed to protect us, blah, 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 blah. Eventually he curses her, which is what transforms her into a tree. But this is a tree that has to be fed every so many years to keep from dying. And uh, as we flash back to the present, we've realized this tree he's been sitting in front of is actually her, transformed into this crazy, gnarly tree. And, uh... Wonder Woman threatens to end him, which you can't because he's the god of war, so like that doesn't really work. But uh, he takes the lasso off for him and he drops the lasso down and he tells her that he's only really there to cause enough blood and destruction to keep her alive. And she's like, what? And he's like, well, you cut me in our fight. And he reveals that he's been wounded and he starts bleeding at the roots of the tree and we see the tree really turn to life. And we find out he feels kind of bad about what he did. But the only way to keep the tree from dying is to continue to feed it blood every so many years. And, but he only feeds it enough to once keep a year, it. He can, he can only feed it enough once a year with his own blood. With his own blood. But he only feeds it enough to keep it alive for the year. And it can't fix her, can't bring her back. And she's like, well, he's like torture to both of you. And she basically walks off leaving him there bleeding on the tree, returning it to life. It's kind of dark as a story, but it's another, like, I don't know, one of those remorseful type of stories. I mean, the art's pretty good in it, too. It's gritty also, but it's also kind of a gritty story. So, like, I would say it makes sense for the style story it is. I feel like it fits pretty good, but it's it's another one that has, like, a, uh, not like a moral moral to it, but kind of a moral to the story. Anyhow, Ares is always cool when we get to see him because his armor's awesome, so... Anyway, uh, so we'll move on to the next story. All right, so the next story is a Black Adam story. It's called A Coal My Stocking. Uh, it's written by Ram V and Anthony Spray, or Anthony Spay is the pencil psalmist. It starts out with Black Adam landing on what it looks like. It basically looks like the giant wall from Game of Thrones, the, the you know, the wall. <laughs> the wall of the north. Um, Kafakalukluben Island, the North Pole. I, I can't really... Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. Capricorn. Sure. Um, Close enough. And he says some words and in another language that I can't, but just 
dots and lines and X's and O's. Um, and the secret portal opens up, and he goes in. It's a magic language. Yeah, it's a magic language of some sort. And um, the words from these people, spoken in Byzantine, um, are, Turn back outside, you're not welcome in this place. And he's like, A circumstance that is not unfamiliar, unfamiliar to me, but Black Adam does not turn back. Um, come to me now. And he, like, beats up these ape-looking... Some are elf looking green with like, but no eyes, and some are like gorilla looking. They're kind of like elf people, like bolt. Like it's, it's very. I mean, with spe- with spears, and uh, he, he kind of whoops all of them, and they kind of like sm- they start to smother him, and his then his eyes turn lightning. And he's like, "You fools!" And then it switches to a young girl in in Kandach is the name of the city, and she's sitting up on a rooftop, and she's crying, and he flies up, and he's like, what's wrong, little one? And she's like, it's the snow, just reminding me of the holidays. Um, before I came here, I lived in an orphanage in New York, and there was a night before Christmas, we'd all hang out up our stockings on the mantle, and I'd leave milk and cookies for by the window for Santa, and he's like, she, and Black Adam's like, and why must you give this man your food? And because he gets hungry, silly, he works really hard bringing gifts for all the children in the world. And Black Adam just looks so confused, <laughs> and he's like, he's just, he's like, I, I don't get it. And then she's like, but I guess he doesn't come come to Kondok, I suppose. And then all of a sudden, it flashes back to the fight again, and you just hear, you see a massive word bubble that says Shazam with an exclamation point and like a lightning bolt. And then it flashes, and it's like all the people he was fighting are just like laying on the ground, and he's like got lightning. He pushes open the doors and goes into the ancient city of Mira. More elf-looking people with the donkeys, and it looks like, I don't know, the scene in Jerusalem from Robin Hood, Prince and Thieves, like, very, like, Middle Eastern, and, um, there's... Ancient people, not technology savvy. Yeah, but there's, like, a massive golden tower in the middle, and, uh, another elf, the green elf-looking guy is, like, an outsider, it can't be, call the guards, call the guards, and then a man who looks like... He's got a red cloak, um, trimmed out in gold, and he's got a white, gigantic white beard, long hair, and, uh, Black Adam's like flying in, he's like, in this, this man with white hair, which looks eerily like Santa Claus, I guess. The wizard Santa Claus, yep. It's the wizard Santa Claus, yep. definitely, exactly. <laughs> he's like, you have brought evil and death to the sacred place, you must leave before I'm forced to cause harm to you, for I will defend the city, and, uh, you, Black Adam's like, you're the, you're the wizard? You have this hid city in ice, Niklas of Mira, and uh, we'll have words once this is done. And then it flashes back to Black Hemson with the little girl, and she's telling him about Christmas some more. He's like, you know what? I understand everything. I'm, I'm going to go take care of this. Because like, she keeps talking about how Santa's probably not going to come to where she's at. And then lightning and bolts are everywhere. Um, ancient Mira now. And uh, the Santa Claus-looking guy's like, enough, please, what do you want me to do? He's like, the Claus, Wizard of Mira. He's like, look, here is Kondok. This year, all the children in Kondok will have gifts. All the stockings will be filled. You understand? And then it's the little girl, like, sending out cookies and milk out on her table. <laughs> and it says, like, last thing Black Adam says, and if you must, I will accept a lump of coal in mine. So he's basically taking... Because the little girl explained earlier on that, like, if you're bad, you get a lump of coal. If you're good, you get toys. 
So he's basically like being like, I'll take the lump of coal for the entire country, being, yep. but you need to bring these kids toys. All these kids need toys. The Wizard Claws is who, yeah. it's Again, freaking <laughs> adorable. Yeah. So good. So if, I don't know what number we're at yet, but like I think we're at five or something like that, but it's like five out of five so far. Like such good stories. Like oh, so yeah. good. Like it's yeah, like the whole mirror of her explaining Christmas to him, and he she's like, I don't think you understand. He's like, No, no, I have the wisdom of Solomon, and she's <laughs> like, Okay, <laughs> and it just kind of moves forward. It's just yeah, it's awesome. He's like, Why are you crying, child? Don't show this world your tears. And she's right? like, Oh, well, like she tells him like what starts telling about Christmas, and it's almost like he's mad and confused at the same time. It's awesome. Oh man. Okay, uh, so next story is uh, the Calendar Man in New Year's, or sorry, New Year, New You is the name of the story. Uh, this is written by uh, Christos Gage, and the artist is uh, Carl Mus- Musetter. And uh, when the story opens up, we are in the Arkham Asylum, and uh, it is New Year's, and we have uh, Dr. Tesh gathered all the inmates together for their New Year's like, group meeting, so, like, I don't know, therapy style, and we flash back to one week earlier, and this one week earlier, we sit through a session with the Calendar Man and Tesh, and the whole time, Tesh is, like, talking to the Calendar Man, and you know why you get caught all the time, is because you have the impulse to always have everything connected to calendars and dates and numbers, and you get yourself caught because your silly addiction to these things and, of course, Calendar Man is not very happy about that, literally at all. is super pissed. And the whole time, Tesh is very, like, just avant-garde about it. Um, at one point, he puts his feet up on the Calendar Man's knees, and he's like, yeah, you're not that scary, dude. And, like, everything you do, you get caught because of silly things. And uh, the Calendar Man tells him, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. You'll, you'll see. Uh, then we cut back to the present. We're at the party, and the Calendar Man is wandering around with the different... Uh, different crooks and thugs and he goes in and he starts talking to uh to uh one of the biggest guys next to Killer Croc and he's like so what's your uh, new year's resolution what uh you know how you feel good about how we managed to put your fears away and managed to hide your your pain in your happy place and he's like yes my happy place and we come to uh Firefly, and he's like, oh, and all the work we've done with you not wanting to start fires. What do you think about whenever you're worried, when you think about starting fires? He's like, butterflies. And Tesh is like, excellent, good job. And we come to Killer Croc, and he's like, what do you think about, you know, what are you supposed to do as your opposite thought? So basically, he's going over all the little tools he's given them to try to fix themselves um, as patients. Then we cut to one, we cut to earlier that week, and we have an issue where the calendar man is being walked down the hall with a couple other prisoners, and they come across uh, they come across the big guy. And he's like, he whispers to him, "There's monsters in your happy place." And uh, the guard yells at him, "Oh, keep on moving, keep moving!" And the next person he walks by is Firefly, and he tells him, "I wonder how pretty it'd be if butterflies burned. They can burn, right?" And of course, Firefly automatically goes to the idea of two burning angels next to his head that are butterflies. And then we join the Calendar Man outside of Killer Croc's cage. And so he's just poisoning all of them with their same tools they're supposed to be using to make themselves better. And we flash to now, and everything is a complete mayhem mess. Everything's on fire. The guard's being thrown about. 
and Tash is just trying to crawl his way out. And then the counter man gets a set of guards' keys and grabs a hold of Tash and drags him over to Killer Croc and gives him the Killer Croc to eat slowly. Um, Killer Croc's fix yourself tool was to eat his meals slow so he could enjoy them and not feel so ravenous. And of course, he's holding Tesh by his leg and he's like, I want to eat you slow now, doctor. Um, from there, they all get ready to exit and as they're leaving, they push the, one of the buttons to open up one of the doors to the outside. And, uh, the garage starts slowly opening and in flies Batman and he whoops all of them because he's Batman. Um, after he's Manages to get them all garnished back up and tied up to go back to their cells. He catches the counter man. And he's like, "You didn't know why I caught you, right? Because the way you planned this, everything you hired and everything you bought was something connected with New Year's Eve. Like everything you do is connected to the calendar. So even him trying to do this, because when he had the event, when the event got hired to be catered, the calendar man got in there and messed up the catering. Part of what made everybody angsty. So like." Ultimately, the calendar man still lost because he's addicted to the calendar. It awesome. It's, I just so yeah. I, I loved it. It was great. It's it's really interesting to see how like Tesh gets manipulated by the calendar man using the exact same thing that the cal- that he was trying to do to fix him. Just yeah, I thought it was great. It's a real cool like view of their broken nonsense for the characters. I guess we'll get into that later. That was the one story that I'm like, eh. Well, it doesn't have the same happy trope that a few of these others do. Or maybe not a trope, maybe a, I don't know, moral of the story kind of thing, I guess. All right, the next story is Kronos in Father Christmas, um, written by Dave Wilgos and drawn by Cian Torme. This is Kronos, the master of time. Master of time. Yeah. Um, starts out, um, Ivy Town years ago is the where it takes place, and a barkeep is throwing some drunken man out, and he's just like, it's Christmas Eve, why don't you go on home and quit being garbage, go home to your boy. And he wakes up in the snow, and a car is just getting ready to hit him, and time stops. And Kronos comes out of nowhere, and he's just like, He's like, how's it feel to have wasted every second you've had? And the guy is just like looking at the headlights and he's like, what do you mean? I can't move and I can't, cause he's frozen in time. And, uh, Kronos is holding a, uh, is it Captain Carrot? Captain Carrot action figure. Yeah. Or, or action doll or Captain Carrot plus zoo crew. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's actually a plush, but yeah. And he's like, I froze you in time. Um, if I unfreeze you, this car's gonna hit you head on. Um, but you know, how's this going to change your life? And he gives him the doll and he's like, go home, tell your son that you love him. Give him this doll for Christmas. And he's like, let me hear you say it. And he's like, say what? He's like, that you love David. He's like, I love David. He's my boy. And then in like the internal dialogue, it's like, this is the 64th attempt to fix my father. So then you find that Kronos is trying to like make his father not be a piece of crap. Right. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a deep one, which it is. It is, Because yeah. in the comic book news, before we started this episode tonight, this was talked about in, like, multiple different sites when I was digging for news. So, it, like, it touched more than more people. But it's oh, yeah. really good. So, anyway, on with it. It's like, when my mother would try to talk to my father into doing something, he would never follow through. 
And all of a sudden, there's just a guy standing there. He's just like, hey, what's that you got there? He's like, oh, it's a Captain Carrot doll. I was like, well, I'll give you $100 for it because, like, those things are impossible to find. He's like, oh, we better make it 200 So the guy doesn't even get home to his son. Before he's selling the doll. With the, the doll that his own son gave him from the future before he sells it. And Kronos, obviously, is watching because he, like, you know, master of time. Right. And he's like, I'm running out of ways to threaten him. I thought aiming a truck at him would do the trick. So he goes back to his, he's like, I've been to every area of history. I've seen the beginning time and its end. I've stolen remarkable things, met prophets, presidents, empresses, and demigods, fought the Justice League to a standstill. It's an existence that is empty. He's like, but a life with a happy family where I, I never become the supervillain Kronos, that is worth living. So basically his whole goal with this is like, if I can get my dad to just love me and be a dad, Maybe I'll never become a supervillain. Trying to fix himself, yeah. He's like, I have to threaten something that he loves. So, again, Clinton's at the bar. And and walks the guy and says, um, I'm Gabriel Walker. I'm with the Department of Social Services. I'm here to talk to you about your son. And then talking about being preschool. And he's like, no thanks. He's like, you know, I, I only stay with this my wife because I don't have to pay child support. It's cheaper to live there. And not do anything, then it's a divorcer, and then I have to pay child support. So he's, again, just continues to be a scumbag. And Kronos, as he watches this, just starts smashing things. And he finally figures it out. So he waits till the guy, his dad, comes out, and he stabs him in the chest, and he's there to die. And he's like, all you had to do was love your boy. And then he walks in. He's like, someday you'll sleep in castles, David. And he like puts Captain Carrot next there. He's like, it will not be enough. You have to give yourself the love that you don't get. The greatest treasures humankind has ever known will all seem hollow otherwise. I love you, David. Basically telling him he loves himself, which is, which is weird. But and then it's like, it shows out the, the light, the light, the cop lights of the bedroom window of the of the boy that he w- is is. And this is Merry Christmas, and it's like cop wise because his dad died. So, yeah, his dad murdered out on the street. With Captain Carrot sitting on the, on the night. Yeah. Night. Pretty gut-wrenching, man, but pretty cool at the same time. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a... As far as, like, deep, I mean, a few of these get, get deep in there, but yeah, that one definitely has, like, a... Just as a... A one-shot short story, man, it is, it is bleak, but it is, like... I don't know, it's it's just really, it's a really well thought out story. And like, Kronos gets played kind of cheesy occasionally, because he's Kronos the Master of Time. But man, yeah, this story is awesome for him. Uh, let's see, for there, from there we go to the prankster, um, in A Prankster's New Year's, New Year. Um, this is uh, written by uh, Kurt Busick, and the art is uh, by Dale Eagles, Eaglesham. And we open up, and we got the prankster who's uh, busy watching a giant computer screen with Superman fighting a giant snowman, talking about how their new job isn't to rob places, it's to work for other people to help them rob places. And he's got his two stewardess-looking ladies that are helping him throw switches and cause mayhem for Superman to be distracted. And he goes over how what their job really is now is to basically work to help other criminals perpetrate their crimes by distracting the heroes that would stop them. And we get an overview of Superman, and we see Superman leave the scene, and then he uh, comes in and he starts telling girls, oh, how great they've done this year, their job, they've done such a great job, and he's so proud of them, and then we go through, like, a roll call, and we see 
three of the different ladies and different events that they helped orchestrate the hero being distracted enough not to catch the bad guy. And we cut from there to some crumbling smash on the wall. And next thing you know, Superman flies straight in. He's like, prankster, I have you now. And the prankster yells at the girls, oh, we have a way to get out of this. This is time to execute the escape plan. And they all push buttons and drop through drop doors in the floor and start running through catacombs. And it talks about how, oh, he's built his base on top of all these hidden old uh, tunnels in the city and how there's an escape plan with an escape plan with an escape plan. And so we join each of the different girls running through the different tunnels and one of them gets headed off by Supergirl and she's like, oh, I have another way to get out even with Supergirl here. And so she takes a different turn and keeps running. And eventually... As get, they get stopped by a whole bunch of different characters, like we have the Guardian show up, which was kind of crazy. We have uh, and it's Jimmy Olsen, but he's drawn a lot like the Hulk, the Hulk or like Braun. But it's Jimmy Olsen in one of his transformed uh, forms, and he heads off two of the other ones, and eventually they all come up in the same hallway, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, we're in the same place! This is bad news." And they run into the next room, and here's the prankster with a giant bottle of champagne and balloons and a crazy Happy New Year's sign behind him. And he's like, oh, congratulations, girls. Happy New Year. You've all done so great. I figured we'd I'd prank all of you with, uh, you know, the biggest prank of the new year. And he introduces one of the older girls, one of the girls from the first batch that used to work with him. And she helped me pull all this off and set it all up. So all the, all the heroes were robots, and we see that Superman has a bunch of lines on him like a robot and... He just tricked all of them, and uh, as he's talking, he's like, yeah, she was one of my very first assistants, and one of the very best, and she winds up hitting him in the face with a pie, and she jokingly says, there won't be any recourse for that, right? <laughs> it's just a funny joke, right? And he's his in-line is, uh, oh yes, absolutely no, absolutely no retribution, and it's like, just a, it's a fun run through it. I mean, the prankster... Another, like, kind of B-level character, maybe C-level character. But the art's pretty good. I mean, I, I, Jimmy Olsen's the weirdest part, really, to me. But the rest of it's the rest of it's fun. And, like, I don't know, the prankster is a... He is definitely a weird character, um, just in general. But, yeah, this whole thing's got a whole batch of Bs, Cs, and Ds running through it. So, I thought it was cool, though. So, the last one's a Harley Quinn story. It's called Little Christmas Tree. Um, it's written by Vita Ayala and drawn by Elena Casagrande. And it's kind of a cool story because it's with uh, Renee Montoya. Right, which we don't get a lot of her lately at all. And it's actually, weirdly, it's, it's uh, hey, Montoya, you've been off that clock for multiple hours here, one of the other cops saying to her. And, he, and she's like, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't take care of this, then, uh, this this person, she'd be stuck here all weekend over something she didn't even do. And it's like, well, she's a criminal, so why is it even worth your effort? And as you see, it's Harley Quinn. And uh, the cop's like, he's like, whatever. Like, she's just a criminal. And, like, Harley Quinn's like, whatever. And uh, Montoya's like, oh, she's innocent, Sarge. Either way, she's owed due, due process. So as Quinn's irritated at the police officer, she's like, all right, Quinn, can we just get out of here, please? Cause like, so I can go home to my, like, my empty apartment and just enjoy two days off work. And she's like, what do you mean alone? It's the holidays. And she's like, you know, the holidays don't mean anything to me. I want to, when you're married to your job, now stay out of, stay out of trouble, please. And she's like, oh no, detective, I owe you one. And I aim to pay my debts. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. 
So it's Montoya. Um, she gets on the subway. She gets on the on on the train, and then everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, it's her!" and starts running away. And then it's like a mariachi band with Harley Quinn and a trumpet. And uh, Montoya's like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "Well, you seem really down, d- detective." So I'm ready to like bring some holiday cheer. And so Montoya gets off the next top and. Because she's like, I'm not having this nonsense, and like leaves Harley on the train. She's like, oh, wait up. And she walks up the stairs, and it's snowing, and Montoya sighs, and she's thinking back to, you know, a fight that she had with her girlfriend. Um, and look at Christmas that they had together. And then all of a sudden, Harley comes out of nowhere, and she's like panting and gasping. She's like, like I don't want to be bothering you, but um, I got you this gift. and uh, And she's like, obviously... She's scared that it's like not something good. Well, it's a giant like wrath present like, box. Like massive, like it's a big yeah. person. Ridiculous size. And she's like, it's a little time sensitive. And she's like, we can chit chat after you unwrap it, but I want you to like unwrap it now so you get the full impact. She's like, get down. And then she knocks it over and it's a, uh, it's a cake. Yeah. A gigantic like reindeer cake. And, uh, and she's like, you said, and then it's like them just talking out on the snow and say, like, you said impact. And I thought, I don't know. That it was maybe a bomb. She's like, what? I'm trying to bring you some holiday cheer as a thank you for what you did and you make sense. They try and blow you up. And like Montoya's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, yeah, you got a lot of trust issues. You know that? And Montoya's like, yeah, it's been brought up to me before. And it's like, and she kind of smiles because like Harley kind of totally just like called her out on her nonsense. Oh, yeah. And then Harley's like, oh, you're totally smiling. And then Montoya just takes off and, uh, She's like, okay. Harley's like, I got one more trick up my sleeve. So she gets home, and there's a note, and it says, come to the roof. And she walks up there, and there's like um, a fire pit with going, and some beer, and some Christmas lights, and some, she's like, Harley hands her like, uh, like a stick with a marshmallow on it, and she's like, and they just sit down, and they start having girl talk. All of a sudden, one of the Wayne Tower, basically, is what it is, I think. Yeah, it is. It just lights up with a bunch of Christmas lights and stuff. And she's like, um, something that Harley did, obviously. And she's like, all right, I really appreciate it, but uh, make sure you take care of that before it becomes a problem. And she's like, all right, yes, ma'am. Yeah, we'll make sure you clean up the lights. So, yeah, it's a whole, like, here's your present since you wouldn't take anything else kind of situation. And uh, pretty awesome. Pretty cool. So, And at the end of it, the end of the book is just like, Thanks to all the artists and all the writers, and it says happy holidays from all of us at DC Comics. So, it's just like a holiday special. Every story is really, like, there's only one story in it that I really just didn't like. Um, Calendar Man? And the only reason was because, like, at one point, Batman's like, I've been watching you the whole time, I know everything's going on, so, like, I'm just letting you, like, kind of dig your own hole, but it's just like, basically, Batman just let that psychiatrist, like, die. Well, I don't know if he actually he actually dies or not. Like Killer Croc talks about eating him slowly, but I don't think he actually gets killed. And Tesh, he's a character we've had show up before, and he's always kind of like a weaselly, like psychiatrist doctor guy that half the time you think is bad, and half the time you don't know what he's actually trying to do. Because he's been a villain before, but it's not like he's a complete villain, I guess. Uh, but yeah, they, we don't ever actually see that. But yeah, it, in the way that they walk out of the building, well, what else would Carol Croc have done? So I mean, I, yeah, that, I guess that's a little questionable. I didn't really think about that. I just figured. So whatever. they talk about him eating quickly. Right. That was that was Killer Croc's problem. 
So if he doesn't eat him quickly, because he wants to savor him. It's supposed to be more painful. He at least has an armor leg eaten off. I mean, probably, but we don't actually see And if that. Batman knows what's going on, he allowed that to happen. <laughs> that was my problem with it. Oh, okay. I see so what I'm saying. saying. Like, if Batman knows so much, well, he also why let the, did he let that happen? He also let the riot basically happen, too. Because, like, it turns into a full So how many riot. security guards just got hurt? I mean, I'm going to say at least three. I don't think any of them got dead. That's my problem with that one. No, I can see what I see what you're saying. It's a little much for Batman to have known everything and just let it happen anyway. But I mean, he doesn't have to save everyone. Just you know, try not to be the one that causes them to be dead. I don't know. Yeah, that get get out is a little more rough than I. I still liked it, but I see what you're saying. I didn't get the holiday twist to that one either. Uh, other than it being connected to the calendar and like all of his plotting and planning, as Batman's explaining why he failed. All the nuances are different holidays, dates that gave Batman the clues to what he was doing. Yeah, I just that, that, so. of all of it, if if so, if we're gonna do ranking right now. Sure. The reason this book doesn't get a perfect for me because, like, as far as the stories go, they're all really, really, really good except that one. Um, I'm gonna give it a four and three quarters. I thought each story was really, really cool. Oh yeah. Like I, I give it four and a half. I get the art. I feel like the arts fit the stories they were in. Like the style for the first one is super gritty, and it's a super gritty story. The Wonder Woman one's gritty too, but it's also like a dark gritty story. That's the only one that I didn't enjoy the art on was the Wonder Woman one with the tree lady. Yeah, that's the only one I didn't enjoy the art, and the only one I didn't enjoy the story was the calendar one. So it was just kind of like, but the calendar one's art was really good. Oh yeah. So like that's why I gave it such a high rating. But like. As many stories were in it. Oh my gosh, for like a single book, yeah, man. You got Super ten, good. Ten, ten short stories, and I, I would say they're all great. I mean, there are definitely highlights out of them, and the Cronus one is really good. The Harley Quinn one's really good, but none of them are bad. Like, it's as a thing, story wise, I feel like they're all pretty decent, and half of them are like stories to teach you a lesson types, and like the whole Wizard Claws, so great. Like, the Kronos story? Yeah, awesome. So good. Like, series-wise and story-wise, like, all these books I feel like are a win. And as far as, like, one giant book, it's a lot of cool content to read, and you get a lot of different styles of writing, a lot of different styles of art. So, I mean, if you guys miss this one, it's really too bad. I mean, since it's a seasonal book, it's highly unlikely we see it reprinted in a trade unless they do three more volumes in the next couple years. And even then, it's hard to say if it'll show up as a trade. So, it, book-wise, I thought it was great. I mean, it is a $10 book, but... I mean, it is, but it is On the other pages. hand, if you want just, like, a really good holiday-themed book, you want to sit back with, like, an, you know, a, 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 a rum and cider or an eggnog or hot cocoa or something just to sit back and chill, put your feet up. Enjoy the crackling fire and just have a really good comic book Christmas experience. Like seriously, like Christmas oh, yeah, experience. Yeah. Like it's that's the book. Like it to me, it's worth. It would be worth the nine ninety nine. Oh yeah, for sure. It was but, well done. It's very well done. It's got a great cover too, actually. Like all the villains being stacked on top of the Joker in a in Sanic suit. Awesome. Oh yeah, it's good stuff. So that is why we only did three tonight. It's because this book was extra long, right? Because it's huge. It's a huge issue. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 80 pages, that's, yeah, pretty impressive. And all new content, so, like, that's great, too. Uh, all right, um, so let's see, let's do... Uh, what'd you learn today, Josh? 
lesson of the day. Uh, don't be a psychiatrist under like Batman's watch because he doesn't <laughs> care about you. That's a very good point. <laughs> very, very. He good doesn't point. care about my psychiatrist. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Tesh is not a good fella anyway, but yeah, he's still be, a civilian, man. I mean, technically, yes. <laughs> All right. So, what did I learn, Josh? You learned that. I learned that. I think that was a Captain Carrot plush doll. It was. That's all I got to say about that. I think we learned that together. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, we're going to work on that segment a little bit. <sighs> um, well, you want to do the action figure breakdown? Action figure breakdown. More lasers, I think, in this one. That's I did like it, though. She gets some more lasers than that. All right, so this week, it is a company called Marauder Task Force, and they do um, wartime, real-time action figures they've done. They have actually a new like wave coming out that's all World War II with Germans and Russians and Japanese and U.S. and British soldiers with all their different guns and all the different things, and they're all 118th scale. Quite amazing. Um, the pouches and the guns and the backpacks and the swords and the whatever all take them off, put them on. There's multiple like different whole like accessory holes like all over the place. So you can like kind of customize your figure however you want. It's going to be so. I'm going to say this. I'm going to preface it with this is like this figure I did order straight. The the company designed this figure this way. I order this figure specifically. But you can go on their website and pick a blank body and pick pick like pick some blank bodies, heads, legs, arms, whatever, and pretty much design your own figure. They're everything's like inter interchangeable, intermixable, and uh, just the, the enti- yeah, everything they do is it's pretty cool. So um, a lot of the actually the new current one eighteen scale figures are all interchangeable with one another. It's pretty neat. But this one specifically is the uh, Deluxe um, Marauder Task Force Female Valkyries um, white and black Ghost Ops version. And she is quite amazing. Um, it's an almost all-white figure. She comes with, like, a really cool, like, hood and face mask. And she's got some black trim around her. She comes with a really amazing sword, some guns, um, a stand. She comes with uh, a couple other heads, a couple other bodies, or, uh, not bodies, but, like, vests. Um, she comes with a helmet. She comes with... I mean, the accessories that these figures come with are, are incredible. I can't even, like, be- begin to describe how ridiculous the accessories... Accessories? Accessories, yeah. Help me help you. I, I specifically picked this figure, because, like, go- going through the website, they the company does make, put together figures... To sell, just to, hey, this is one that we built, and um, she's pretty amazing. Uh, it fits right in with all like all my other GI Joe sized ninjas, like slash spy figures. The joints are incredible. Um, they the Marauder Task Force figures don't twist at the upper chest slash lower stomach like the GI Joe figures do, middle torso, yeah. Um, but they do have. Shoulders, arms, elbows, ankles, 
more, I mean, multiple points of articulation. Um, that, I mean, that doesn't really bother me on that aspect because, like, there's, these are so highly detailed. Um, the one problem I do have with these figures is that, like, they have so many accessories that, like, the gun pouches or gun holsters that go, like, put on the legs, like, if they're just standing there to pose, and once you get them how you want them, they're fine. But if you move it at all, it feels like something always falls out. I feel like they're almost over too many accessories, like, sometimes with these right. figures. This is kind of my biggest issue with these. They're amazing. They're cool. But I think it's just too much sometimes. As far as the figure goes, it it looks incredible. Posability is incredible. But the way the things just kind of fall off it periodically kind of irritates me. Um, I mean, I know that this is kind of an adult collector kind of thing. But if I was going to have, like, if I bought this for, my, for a kid or, like, you know, if you have a son or a daughter who, who wants to collect action figures and mess with them, or even even if you get your those kids into customization, any of that kind of thing, like kids' hands, like they don't they don't have the they don't know the delicacies of that kind of stuff. You're going to struggle. Like things can could possibly break easier on this. Sure, well, um, parts parts lost, pouches falling off. Yeah, and that like, part is a little rough. Right, so that that would be the frustration with that part of it. But um, other than that, like it's a pretty cool figure. So sweet. It does look really awesome. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the Jinx character, and if you don't know who that is, Google G.I. Joe Jinx. Style-wise, like, yeah, it, the figure itself is high, so highly detailed, it's amazing. Just look-wise, they look awesome. So we are going to hopefully start getting some video of this done. Right. We're trying to figure out the semantics of that still. Sure. But the cool thing with that is we'll post it on the... Uh, It'll be accessible through all the top five comics stuff and all the. Yeah, we'll try um, to put a once we get that done, which I again time wise that is a plan. Uh, we are not quite there yet, but uh, eventually once we do, we'll put a new link on the uh, top five comics podcast website. Which if you didn't know, because we haven't really mentioned it in a long time, uh, we do have a website. It's top five comics podcast dot com, where you can go to find all your uh, top five comics podcasts and. Uh, Never Been Done podcasts and AMA 2050 uh, video gameplay on YouTube. So it'll be added into that. Um, there's also a news link in the middle that you can get other news from different sources. So you can go there. I mean, you can go to Podomatic for any of those shows also. I mean, everything's hosted through Podomatic. But if you don't remember the Podomatic name, then just uh, Google Top5ComicsPodcast.com or podcast period, I guess. Anyway, yeah, it'll be hosted there at some point once we get to that stage. So if you're interested in these figures, it is Marauder Task Force. Um, actually, it's MarauderGunRunners.com. Um, but if you just Google Marauder, Ta- Marauder Task Force, it'll, it'll pop up. They're doing a holiday sale right now, so a lot of their like normal line isn't available. They just have a bunch of specials going on right now. But they have like... Hundreds of different heads, like female, male, like all sorts of different. Like it's pretty incredible, like what they've what they've done. It's pretty neat. So, and it's relatively inexpensive. Like this figure was one of the deluxe figures, and I think it was only like twenty eight dollars shipped. So, I mean, that's not too bad for a no. uh, like uh, uh, and all these like these secondary like uh like independent toy lines. Like that's pretty average. Is what you're going to get right now, just because like they're all getting them made in China and then like shipping them over and then packaging themselves, and then shipping them out. Yeah, it's it's a pretty neat company. Check them out, Marauder Task Force, and yeah, 
So if you, if, th- if there's a company or something you want to hear about, hit us up, um, send us a message or an email or message on Facebook or Instagram, which is off top five comics. If you look that up, it'll pop up. It's like top five comics CBS, I think on Instagram, right? For Instagram. Yes. Uh, yeah. If you want to see but pictures, top five comics, uh, lots of my drawings, pictures of cons and shows and parties and we had a sweet new Admiral Akbar uh, Thanksgiving one up. That's true. It's fantastic. Then you, did you just post a new one today? Uh, the Mandalorian one? Uh, it was last night, but yes. That's pretty cool. Really so good too. New oh. Mandalorian sketch up there. So if you like looking at drawings, I do drawings. It's where those in a lot of my adventures get posted on Instagram. So um, if you don't have kids in the car and you want to listen to something a little bit more racy and a little bit more like adult themed, like the Never Been Done podcast, we uh, CBS and my other podcast, we do that with a buddy or T Huff who's guest on this a couple times, but we cover movies, directors, actors, things like that. But other than that, man, ain't got a couple books to watch there, Josh. That one that I, the one I talked about in the news, the um, Paul is dead. Right. That one I'm like pretty stoked on. I'm really stoked on that. The Mary Jane book I thought was really good, so I'm actually kind of stoked to read that. So two of the ones that we talked about tonight, one that we went through, but the other one that we talked about in the news, both sure. are really. I I'm both stoked on both of those. Um, I still really like the Young Justice stuff. Usagi's been really amazing. Some like there's some really cool like custom or not custom, but uh variant cover stuff going on with like. Them and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I talked about that right. a couple weeks ago. But other than that, man, I'm, I'm a little behind in some stuff, so I gotta get caught up. Um, sure. the, the Arthur Adams, like, uh, covers that he's been doing. The, uh, the connected covers for the Spider-Man stuff? Been fantastic. Well, um, all the stuff he did for, uh, War, War of Realms. Oh, yeah, that stuff too. But that I mean, stuff was amazing. A little, then- little older, but yeah, currently he's got one, which I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there's, a. There's been a whole bunch of different series that had Arthur Adams connecting covers that uh, it's basically like just a bunch of spider people, but it looks amazing. Well, well, he's also doing the um, Annihilation Source variant covers, too. Yes, he is. So, like, I mean, just, oh, my gosh. Like, the, the that one alone that I saw the other day on his Instagram, it's got Silver Surfer, The Thing. Oh, it's got the Fantastic Four, um, Annihilus, Battery Bill. I mean, Nova, it's just, it, the man is incredible when right. it comes to like massive cover. When it, okay, I'm going to retract a little bit because he does do, you know, like, he does insides too. He does. But like, his covers are a thing of like beauty. Cause oh, yeah. like he, like they are like massive spreads. They're incredible. So. Well, yeah. as far as uh, like books to watch, uh, the only one, the only one I really have like mentally today was, uh, Lucy Claire. Lucy Claire Redemption? I think it's Lu- Lucy Claire Redemption. I'm pretty sure that's right. Claire might not be the right last name, so sorry about that if that's wrong. But uh, it's Image. It's basically a girl who is a werewolf hunter, and her history hunting werewolves and things have gone badly. It's being done by John Upchurch, who is a fantastic artist, um, decent writer. So uh, he's doing the whole book. Um, I, I want to say that issue. Actually, that issue came out this week, too. Uh, so it should be in stores now. But fantastic. Like, that is great. That is an awesome issue. Um, and the series itself, at this point, they haven't announced if it's a miniseries or not, but image, generally speaking, we have a lot of them that are. But, and yeah, as a thing, that thing is awesome. I guess that was all I really had, it's like, suggestion-wise. I'd say look for that one, guys, because it's great. I guess that's it. Is that it? Is it key? Oh, come on, man.